It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Well, hello and welcome in to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. Happy Thanksgiving week. It is officially upon us. The big turkey day is fast approaching, which also is why this show is out a day ahead of time because I am traveling on Wednesday, heading back to Long Island to see my folks for Thanksgiving and bringing the girlfriend and the dogs with us. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. Had to get this show recorded and get it out to all of you so that you can listen to it as well on your Thanksgiving drives, flights, travel, wherever it is you are heading for the holidays. Uh, be safe and enjoy them. Uh, big show to get to today. A lot of things. Uh, this is going to be a very heavy Ghostbusters episode. Uh, I do have some things as well for Thanksgiving that maybe we'll get to, maybe we won't. Uh, there is a lot in the entertainment news. Keanu Reeves uh, shared a list of movies that I- I'm just absolutely blown away by this list, but also said something else that that I think is kind of interesting to dive into, uh, not to mention just everything else that's kind of going on. Uh, the Jurassic World Dominion a little prologue dropped, so I'm going to talk about that. A little five-minute prologue came out. Uh, what we're going to see prior to the movie, uh, or I guess the first five minutes of the movie, really. Uh, the DC League of Super Pets trailer is officially out. Uh, Ridley Scott is blaming millennials for the issues with his films. And just so much more. Martin Scorsese teaming up with Jonah Hill again. Uh, Peacock's MacGruber series is on the way. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so without wasting any time, the real meat and potatoes, I'm sure why many of you are here, is for the Ghostbusters Afterlife non-spoiler review and conversation that we're about to have, because there is a lot that is going on with this film that I did not expect. Here we are about a week after its release, and some of the conversations we're having with this as far as reviews go, as far as comparisons with 2016's all-female reboot, Answer the Call, all of this stuff, a lot to dissect on this. But before we get to that, let's just get into it. My thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife. Again, this is non-spoiler, which might mean that this is going to be a quick conversation because it's really hard to talk about this movie and not spoil things. So here's what I am going to say. Ghostbusters Afterlife is a direct sequel to the original Ghostbusters film while also tying in Ghostbusters 2. This is very much Ghostbusters 3. With that being said, I love this film. I loved every minute of it. It is a nostalgia-driven movie, but I think at the same time, this is a movie that is very well done. It finds its place in the Ghostbusters canon and franchise of the original two films, it does a lot of really, you know, it does the thing that we know and it says the things that we know and all of that stuff. It does the thing, it says the thing, and it balances it really well while also telling, I think, a really good story to introduce a new generation to Ghostbusters. So this is a film that I I would align with that of Creed where it's a Rocky sequel and it is a film that fits very well into the Rocky 
mythology. This it very much could be Rocky Five, following all the events of Apollo Creed. We can exclude, you know, the whole Street Fighter thing and all that stuff. And Creed feels like Rocky Five. It does the things. It says the things. It says and does the things at the same time. All that stuff. And I think it's a really... I think Creed is by far the best version of that. That idea of taking a franchise we know, a classic film that we love, a classic franchise that we love, and finding a way to tell a story that continues that legacy but introduces you to a whole new set of characters. And I think Ghostbusters Afterlife succeeds very well at doing that by giving us this legacy tie-in of you know the original stuff, you know what happened in New York in the 80s, where are we now over 30 years later? What has happened? And I think, again, Ghostbusters Afterlife is a very well-crafted film that finds a way to tell a good story connecting the original films while paving the way for its own thing. Now, yes, at times, if I'm going to put my critic's eye on for a second, at times this film is a little long, is a little draggy, and might overplay in the nostalgia moments at times, but I don't really think that's an issue because overall... While it is a two-hour movie, and maybe it could only be about an hour and 45, maybe an hour 40, you know, somewhere in there, but it plays closer to two hours. Maybe you could trim it a little bit, but it doesn't matter to me because overall, the majority of the experiences from this film, the positive outweighs any of that negative I just said. Any of that, maybe they linger too long in nostalgia, doesn't really matter at the end of the day because... Is it a bad thing? Sometimes nostalgia is a good thing, and this is one of those good ones. Is it bad that it's, you know, maybe 15 minutes too long? (laughs) Not really. Not really. Because at the end of the day, the other hour 45 of it rocked. It was great. It was wonderfully told. So the majority of this movie, in my opinion, is very well done. Very good film. 100% a recommendation. If you are a fan of the original films, this is must-see. Because this is Ghostbusters 3. This is the film you've been waiting for. If you are somebody that is not really familiar with the Ghostbusters, you can still go see this movie. And I still 100% recommend you going to see this movie. Because, again, it, it understands what made the original so good, and it plays into the idea that you have Jason Reitman, who is the son of the director of the original two films, Ivan Reitman, who grew up on the sets. He was on the set of the original Ghostbusters. He was on the set of Ghostbusters 2. He's the kid in Ghostbusters 2 that tells him that they suck in the beginning. I heard you're full of crap. Like, he's that kid in the beginning. So he's one of us who grew up with this franchise, grew up... More so in it than any of us. The way that somebody like me wished I could grow up in it, he got to do that. So you can feel the love throughout this movie. The heartbeat of the understanding of what made the original one so good, the 84 classic, 
and why so many of us, people like me, still will go, okay, Ghostbusters 2 is not as good as Ghostbusters 1, obviously. But Ghostbusters 2 is still a hell of a good time and a lot of fun, and it's still a Ghostbusters movie. That is understood with this film. It is a Ghostbusters movie. I know I've seen some people say things like, well, it's a Ghostbusters movie, but maybe, you know, it, it lacks some of the scares that the original does. That, that, that's, that's fine. The scares of the original were 80s scares. A little more intense than the scares of today. And there are plenty of scares in this movie. There were a lot. There, there were at least one, two, three, three, four good jump scare moments. And then another moment that was really creepy. I mean, at one point, my girlfriend, like my girlfriend, turned to me and was like, "This, that's really creepy. That is really unsettling." And I'm just sitting there with the biggest smile because I'm like, "This is partly playing into the nostalgia thing," and I am absolutely loving it. Keep going, go further, make it creepier. Lean into that. Okay, we're not going to go creepier. That's fine. Still unsettling. So there are like, and at, and at another point, she actually did jump. She did jump, and I was loving the fact that she jumped because it means that they leaned into the scares, which everybody seems to forget. The first Ghostbusters movie is a horror comedy. It is a scary movie with a lot of jump scares and a lot of terrifying moments, and then a ghost BJ, and then comedy. Like, that's what the original Ghostbusters is. Scares, Ghost BJ, comedy. I will always, always remember that because that is really the formula of what <laughs> made it so good. Scares, Ghost BJ, comedy. I said it three times. It's like Beetlejuice. It's all going to come true now. Uh, but no, there is a heart to Ghostbusters Afterlife that really keeps it going. Even if it feels like it's dragging at some times, it does keep the heartbeat of what makes the Ghostbusters so much fun, what's captivating about them, and is reintroducing it to us, old millennials, Gen Xers, everybody that grew up. If you grew up in that time frame of 1984 to like 1995, you owned the toys, you were watching Ghostbusters, real Ghostbusters, the animated series as well. Like, you were, if you lived in that time frame, there is a high percentage that you were all about that. I had a proton pack. I had the toys. I had the Ecto-1, the firehouse, the everything. I was a mark for Ghostbusters. So this was a film that, to me, is nervous when you say we're making a Ghostbusters 3, but very much succeeded on every level that I wanted it to, and even did things that I didn't know I wanted or didn't think was possible that I would want and that I would enjoy. And I got to say, yeah, sure, maybe the villain of the movie might seem like a cop-out to some people, things like that. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. It still worked well with what this film's intentions were, which is to make a sequel to what we know while introducing people to something that they might not know. I saw I saw this film twice. I saw it opening night 
And then I went back again less than 12 hours later to see the first screening, the matinee showing on Friday afternoon. The matinee showing, I saw in the audience people with their kids, which to me just screamed, that's what this is all about. This is about all of us who grew up on this. We're now old enough to have our own families now and and to be starting our families. <clears throat> so for a lot of us, going to see Ghostbusters 3 is also the introduction of this franchise on the big screen to our kids. And they're getting their own movie, but we're also getting a movie that, again, says the things that we want, does the things that we want, says and does the things that we want, while doing the things that we loved and introducing them to a to a next generation that loves them as well. It's it's just absolutely one of my favorite movies of the year. The wait and anticipation for it was 100% worth it. I really don't understand the criticism of it outside of the fact that it seems and this is where we're going to start shifting the conversation more into kind of this really crazy argument that I have seen since this film has come out. And that's the conversation between the all-female reboot 2016 Ghostbusters Answer the Call and this 2021 one. And all I'm going to say is that it's it's absolutely dumb. Because what I have noticed is that there tends to be this, with critics, this sense of, it's a good movie, but it leans too much into nostalgia and doesn't create its own path as an individual film. Bull, bull crap. It absolutely does find its own path as an individual film. But it's a sequel as well. So what the hell did you expect from a film that clearly needs to do something with the legacy to tell its own story? It's not a freaking reboot. It's not a remake. It's not... It's... It's a sequel to things we know. So it's got to do the things we know and move forward and progress forward. And I think told a really good story. So I've seen that as some of the reasons why it's gotten some more, taken a little more of the hits on the critics that seem to be borderline that then tend to go to the side of the fence of it's not really that good because it leans too much into nostalgia. Again, not a bad thing. These are the same people that were telling you how great Creed was, how Vacation was a good movie. All the same things, taking what we love and inserting it into a more a new time with the legacies. But another aspect of the conversation I've seen is the box office one and this idea that somehow there is, it was an article that really set me off today that I saw and it was all about how the 2021 Ghostbusters has a real sexist argument behind it. And I went, what the hell is this? And I clicked on it, and it's become a, a common thread and theme that I've seen, which is the conversation is how the 2016 Ghostbusters film made 48 million, or, or I'm sorry, made 46 million, 48 million, 48 million its opening weekend, and the 2021 film made 46 uh, million. 2021 is being dubbed a film that is going to be a box office success, while 2016 
even though it made $2 million more, was instantly deemed a failure. And that's because it's the sexism to the women and yada, 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 and the females and all the toxicity. So the Hollywood Reporter, Variety, all these people, Hollywood, all made sure that the 2016 film died, even though it technically had a better opening and has a better Rotten Tomatoes score and all that crap. Well, partly, as I said, with the critics, the Rotten Tomatoes score is better because one of the main things is that they all tend to say the female version does its own thing and finds its own voice while being a Ghostbusters film. And I'm going to go on record once again because I am very well on record for this. Everywhere you look in my past, you can see it from my Facebook to my Twitter to the review I gave on 2016. And yes, I've gotten slightly less hot on the 2016 film, but I enjoyed it and I still enjoy it. And I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. Now, I will say what sucks is that I did see it on FX one day. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, they are pushing the director's cut of the film. And the 2016 director's cut is bad. It is the one time that when I bought the film and I watched it at home, it's one of those rare occasions where you're like, wow, the movie Dr. Sleep added 30 extra minutes, turning it into a three-hour film, and that 30 extra minutes really enhanced Danny Torrance's character in this movie making the third act all the more, you know, thrilling. The 2016 Ghostbusters director's cut Within the first five minutes, I went, "Oh no, I should not have wa- I should not have been watching this one." And it's bad. It's bad. I hated the director's cut, so I will only watch the theatrical version of the 2016 Ghostbusters, which I still like, and I still think deserved a lot more of a shot than certain aspects of the audience were giving it. But now people are trying to twist it with the idea that. 2021 is getting love because it's legacy as opposed to the female one. No, this is dumb because also the 2016 film, what makes the box office not matter and why 2016 was a disaster with a 48 million opening as opposed to 2021 being a hit with a 46 million opening is the basic simple things of just economics and logic here. Sure, we can sit here and and argue maybe 2016 took a hit and didn't have an opening because there was that aspect of the fan base that refused to go see it and will never go see it to make sure that it doesn't financially succeed. But outside of that, the 2016 Ghostbusters had an estimated budget close to like $150 million. They were running on superhero money. They thought a Ghostbusters movie was going to bring back in more than $150 million, and that's just the budget. I'm not even accounting for what they probably spent on advertising that could potentially push this closer to a $200 million budget. Ghostbusters Afterlife is running on a $70 million budget. So when 2016 opened... At 48 million, they, it's not like 2021 where they opened at 44 and they're already more than halfway to making back their budget after week one, where the 2016 film made 48 million on a $150 million budget. That is nothing. That is not good. 
That is why it was considered a box office failure because at that point, the type of the way that films are released are not the old school way. This isn't Jaws getting a limited release in a few select cities and then building the hype and then making its money over the course of months. No. The way films are released nowadays is film is out and needs to front load its money because the legs of the movie are eventually going to wear out. So it's a mass dump at once. 2016 got its mass dump and made $48 million. That is not good. 2021 making 46 Afterlife making $46 million? That is really good. Now, granted, Afterlife could still become a box office failure. This weekend, the new Enchanto Disney film comes out, the Resident Evil movie's out. You got some Thanksgiving movies. But the word of mouth on Ghostbusters and the audience score on Ghostbusters is so good that I don't expect it, it, it to have a massive drop-off heading into the Thanksgiving weekend. Also, at the same time, I know at some point I will go see it a third time in theaters. I will risk COVID for Ghostbusters Afterlife again because it was that good. But this notion that there's some sexism or or hatred towards women driving a narrative on this, why 2021 is is considered a success, no. it No. It's not the case. And it's absolutely bonkers and it drives me up the wall because I thought we were beyond this conversation. I thought we were done with this crap. We we had the 2016 one. People lost their mind. Whatever. I don't care at this point. You either saw it, you have an actual opinion on it, or you never saw it and you're just throwing a fit because whatever. You just couldn't handle the fact that there was female Ghostbusters. But now that same person, I guarantee you, probably has seen Afterlife and loves it and doesn't realize the irony of the fact that there is a female Ghostbuster in this. Whatever. Kind of a spoiler? Not really. You saw her in the trailer, so screw it. You know the kids start taking up mantles. Yeah, there's one of them's a female. Congratulations. You still got your female Ghostbuster. So the people that cried about 2016 still got the same thing in 2021. Just not the same way, but they still ended up with a chick busting ghost at some point. So I I just, I don't know. I was very riled up about it. That article really set me off because I thought maybe there was some insight to it. Maybe there was something going on. And I know that there's been some of the fan base that's still being toxic. And I've just accepted that toxicity exists in every fan base. Hell, Haunter's podcast, the HHN show I do, there is a ton of toxicity that has now shown up in that community, which is absolutely uh, just mind-blowing to witness it transpire. And the thing is, toxic people are the ones that don't realize they're toxic. So they're, you know, in that community... They're the the toxic ones are screaming, ranting, and raving, and don't realize that they're the thing that everybody hates. It's the same thing with the Ghostbusters crowd and the Star Wars crowd, the ones that still scream about The Last Jedi. I've just started tuning out because at this point, you just want the feel-good things and you don't ever want the thing to actually evolve, and you don't care. Like, you're just spoiled really at the end of the day and you're somebody who's so spoiled that you think it needs to be the way that you demand it and if it's not then everybody else is wrong so 
toxic fandom exists everywhere. Everywhere. Politics, sports, entertainment, pop culture, it's everywhere. Things you love, there's always going to be a toxic aspect of that fan base. So Ghostbusters still has it. But yeah, I thought there was going to be more depth to it. Instead, it was the stupid, well, the narrative that they're pushing 2021 Ghostbusters Afterlife is a success when 2016 made more money than it at its opening week. No, because you're excluding the budget and all of that and the fact that the studios actually did take a loss because they never made back everything that they spent on the movie. But this one seems like they're going to make back what they spent and then some because they were wise and they didn't put superhero money behind the budget and they kept it very practical and very real, realistic and very much in tune to what the original was. And that is not a shot on 2016 because, again, I think 2016, the theatrical release is a good movie. Um, <clears throat> all right, moving on. There were some other things uh, that dropped. That's why I said this is going to be a very Ghostbusty, Ghostbusty, Ghostbusters heavy episode. But uh, looking ahead, there was the Jurassic World Dominion prolong that dropped if you have not seen this you can pause the podcast go ahead give it a watch five minutes long right now all right welcome back thank you for going and watching that now it's time to uh, react to the jurassic world dominion prologue which holy shit give me a large popcorn extra butter large soda right now I love this, this, this five minute prologue that takes us all the way back 65 billion years. Uh, we, we see all of our favorite dinosaurs. We get introduced to some ones we've never seen on the big screen in the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World universe. We, we, we get to see the mosquito that started this all. And then we fast forward to present days where we see the aftermath of Fallen Kingdom. And I saw it said on Twitter, and, it, and it's true, uh, the five-minute prologue of Jurassic World Dominion was better than really anything Fallen Kingdom did. And it made me laugh because I I'm, I'm, have not shied away from my feelings of Fallen Kingdom. I think Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom has a lot of issues to it and does some things that are kind of cool. Like I think the last moments of Fallen Kingdom are cool. I get a little agitated at the fact that they just made me rewatch Jurassic World, uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park. Because uh, that's really what a lot of the first like two thirds of the movie is. We got to go back to the island. I don't want to go back to the island, but we got to go back to the island. All right, we'll go back to the island. Now we're going to take the dinosaurs off the island. But why would we take the dinosaurs off the island? Because we're going to take them to this place. Oh, no, don't do that. And then it gets kind of cool, in my opinion, when it turns into like a haunted house with a, with, with a dino DNA spliced brand new dinosaur raptor thing running around. Like that gets cool to me. And then they piss me off with the one character existing solely to push a button. But then I'm intrigued again because I'm like, all right, well, now that 
that button was pushed, that means they're in the real world. Where is this going to go? And the movie's over, you son of a bitch. Uh, so the thing that got me excited with Fallen Kingdom, I started to see in this prologue which has me more excited because that was what I thought was the coolest. Like, I get the Fallen Kingdom is the middle movie of a plan. Uh, I, I would, I'm going to assume a plan trilogy. Who the hell knows with Colin Trevorrow. Um, I don't know if this was truly all the way planned from they had an arc from Jurassic World to Fallen Kingdom to Dominion. But I, I'm just going to assume that they're doing the Star Wars thing here where it's like, I did the thing you wanted me to do, right? Okay, now somebody else come in and try and do the thing. Oh, you kind of failed. All right, we'll give the thing back to the guy that did the thing right the first time. <laughs> That's what they did with Star Wars, right? I just talked toxic fan base with Star Wars. JJ came in, Force Awakened us. We went, ooh, it's it's Star Wars all over again, the things that we loved. Let's let's and that's the other thing with Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters Afterlife is not Star Wars The Force Awakens. It is not a replay of hits that way. Uh but JJ came in, Force Awakened us, then things get handed off, and all of a sudden Ryan Johnson destroyed Star Wars for everybody and killed every aspect of Star Wars that you loved. And then they handed it to Colin and Colin was kind of doing his thing and they went, you know what? Give it back to JJ. He'll do the Star Wars thing that He'll do the Star Wars thing. He'll do the thing and say the things. And he did the things and said the things, and it was off-balance, and it concluded. And I feel like that kind of is happening here, because also at the same time, I don't recall if Colin Trevorrow was ever actually supposed to be involved in Dominion because of the fact that he was supposed to be doing the last Star Wars film. Because If I recall, that was how the domino effect uh, was. He got let go of Star Wars and then went back to Jurassic World. I think that's how it happened. But either way, the Dominion five-minute prologue, definitely really cool. Looks super scary. And looks like it's going to do the thing that really intrigues me from Fallen Kingdom. The dinosaurs are in the fucking real world, man. Like, what is that going to look like? And we got a little sample of it with that prologue. Uh, Other trailer dropped today, the DC League of Super Pets. And that actually looks quite fun. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't sure how I felt about this because it seemed like it was another one of those. We're going to put The Rock and Kevin Hart and something together. And this time we're going to animate it and we're going to use the DC things. But no, it looked really cute. All about crypto, Superman's pet dog. Uh, It looks like all the superheroes, uh, things go sideways for, for the Justice League. And all of a sudden, a bunch of rescue pets end up with superpowers and crypto, crypto, excuse me, voiced by The Rock. He's teaching them how to be heroes, and Kevin Hart does one of the voices, and it's got a great voice cast. Looked really cute. I don't know if this is going to be Lego Batman territory of just pissing my pants hysterical, but I'm not going to lie, I'm very intrigued. I'm very, I want to see more. So uh, very much looking forward to uh, checking out the DC League of Super Pets. But yeah, I really, I really dug that first trailer and it, it did the thing it needed to do. It got me intrigued in what they are selling me. Uh, now we've gone a little long, so uh, I guess I'll, I'll switch it up. I'll save the Keanu Reeves thing for last. Uh, I'll jump into the Ridley Scott stuff really quickly. So some other news and notes. Ridley Scott 
said his movie, The Last Duel, bombed, and he blamed millennials. He said uh, apathetic millennials are the reason to blame. He said how we look at our phone too much, all this stuff, and I, I just... I don't think attacking the audience, Ridley Scott, is the smartest thing because if you remember the last duel was the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, like it was a period piece, man. It was a film that its audience wasn't millennials, Ridley. It's the audience for the last duel was an audience that isn't going to the box office. Millennials are going to the box office. So I find it interesting that he's blaming us but we just showed up and made Ghostbusters Afterlife the number one movie. Like, we're going to the movies. And I'm a millennial, and yes, I know I'm an older millennial, but, and I know I'm a little bit of a rare occasion as well, I saw Army of the Dead in theaters. I saw a fucking Netflix movie in theaters a week before it came out on Netflix. Why? So that I could support the film. I wanted to support the industry. I needed to support the industry because millennials are the ones that, to me, are the, like, we get it. We are showing up. We're, we love the movies. We have fun at the movies. The generation that's glued to their phones is the one after us. And it seems that this happens a lot. I've, I've had old bosses say, oh, well, you're a millennial. You grew up with a phone attached to your hip. Motherfuckers, I didn't have a phone until I went. It was going to college. Like, I got one my senior year towards the end because, well, I was a senior and now I was starting to go out with friends who had their licenses at that point. So I needed a cell phone and I was about to go to college. I'd need a cell phone to talk to my parents. Like, I didn't grow up with a fucking cell phone. I grew up where I had to use dial-up internet. So I had to pick and choose when I was allowed to go on the internet. Yeah, I was part of an AOL generation and yeah, MySpace came out by the time I was getting to like high school and shit, but it wasn't, I was growing up at the movie theaters. I was, I'm part of that weird, like millennials to me are part of that weird generation, especially certain ones. Like if he had said, Oh, younger millennials are to blame. I'd be like, okay, maybe because the younger millennials start pushing that. Well, there were computers in their houses for families. Like there wasn't in mine for the longest time. The computer in my house was so that my mom could do her work because my mom had a very important job growing up. So, like, that was the way it was with computers. You have a computer in your house? Well, fuck, man. Either your family's rich or one of your family members is required to have that because they have an important job. And that's what happened with my mom. She had an important job. Like, I wasn't growing up with a cell phone. So Ridley Scott taking, taking aim at millennials... For the last duel failing, when again, millennials are going to the theaters, Ridley, and the last duel was geared to like my dad and older generations, the people that aren't really going to the movies because they're still worried about this pandemic thing. So I don't get what that was about, but Ridley Scott taking aim at his audience, I guess, and pissing me off in the process as well. Uh, Something though that, made me smile peacock dropped a six minute preview for the upcoming mcgruber series all i'm gonna say is mcgruber's in jail due to the events of the 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 ending events of the movie which not a good movie but if you've never seen the mcgruber movie i do recommend watching it 
it's so ridiculously like it's hot rod man it's so bad it's fun it's so dumb but i couldn't stop laughing watching that movie and it's why i'm super stoked for this series that's going to be coming in december uh, so you get a little peek of where mcgruber's been and he's been locked away in jail due to the ending of the mcgruber movie uh, some other news and notes, though. Uh, we also have Martin Scorsese reteaming up with Jonah Hill. This time they are getting together for uh, an Apple. Uh, well, he's teamed up with Apple, I should say. Scorsese has as well as Jonah Hill. And Scorsese is going to direct a biopic about the Grateful Dead. Jonah's going to play lead singer Jerry Garcia. Jerry passed away in 1995 from a heart attack at a rehab clinic. Not clear what part of the band's career the film's going to focus on, but it will include their music, and this is actually Scorsese's second Grateful Dead film. He was a producer on uh, something involving, I want to say it was a biography involving the Grateful Dead a couple years back. Now he's set to direct a movie about the Grateful Dead, a biopic about them. Uh, As long as it's not like the Bohemian Rhapsody film, as long as it's, you know, not one of those kind of A to B really generic by the numbers fluff piece rock band biopics. I'm cool. I'm cool with it then. I'm I'm interested. I think the Jonah Hill casting is actually really smart and I I dig that a lot. Cause if you look at Jonah Hill and Jerry Garcia side by side if you give jonah the long hair and and the beard and the glasses and throw him in you know a drug rug he's gonna look just like jerry garcia man and i'm all for it maybe this is the type of thing as well this is a biopic uh, apparently it, 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 jonah's not gonna have to sing you know dude man from bohemian rhapsody Ra- rami malik didn't do any singing and ended up winning a Best Actor Academy Award for Bohemian Rhapsody, and I will admit he was phenomenal in that movie. But the dude didn't sing and won a Oscar, and then you have, you know, the Kingsman singing, actually doing his singing for the Elton John biopic, and he's not winning an Oscar, so. As long as Jonah doesn't sing, he's in line to potentially finally win his best supporting, or, or I should say his best uh, Oscar uh, for a movie. Uh, yeah, not a supporting role this time around for him. It's going to be a lead role for him. So <laughs> as long as as long as long his buddy Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't do anything, uh, he should be fine. And then uh, one last bit of information I got for you all. Uh, the South Park pandemic special is actually going to be out on Thanksgiving but they dropped a 30-second trailer for it. The little preview has me super stoked. It's called the South Park Post-COVID Special. Catching up with Stan, Kyle, Kenny, and Cartman 40 years into the future and seeing how surviving the pandemic has impacted them. So I'm pretty stoked on that. I think that's going to be a really fun... Uh, if, if you haven't watched any of the, the pandemic specials, go ahead. Give it a watch. It's it's some good stuff, man. It really is uh, a fun time, the South Park specials. But that's going to be on Paramount+. Plus. It's only exclusively streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So finally, after all these 
months uh, or over a year of paying Paramount Plus $10 a month, I have something to watch on Paramount Plus that's not the old school Nickelodeon Are You Afraid of the Darks. That feels good to say. Uh, And all right, the last bit of uh, information today on this holiday edition, Uh, Keanu Reeves uh, recently was talking with Esquire, and he revealed that he put together a movie list, uh, movie recommendations for his Matrix co-star Carrie Ann Moss and her son to watch. Some of the highlights, no particular order, he had Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, Big Lebowski, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, The Evil Dead, which, holy shit, Keanu Reeves likes The Evil Dead? All right, (laughs) let's go. Amadeus, Seven Samurai, Dr. Strangelove, again, holy crap, Dr. Strangelove? Rollerball, I imagine not the LL Cool J one, uh, and definitely, or, or Chris Klein, I guess, Definitely the James Conn one, I'm sure. And then A Clockwork Orange was on his list as well. And again, holy crap, Keanu Reeves likes A Clockwork Orange. Wow. But I did think what was interesting is that on a related note, they also asked him what three movies of his he'd suggest people watch to get to know him. And his response was The Matrix Trilogy, The Devil's Advocate, And then Point Break, which does beg the question, what three movies would you suggest people watch to get to know you? I tweeted it out earlier because we also talked about this on my radio show that I do, and I tweeted mine out. It's Beetlejuice, Bill and Ted, and Jay and Silent Bob. (laughs) Strike back. Hmm, Excuse me, but uh, so if you missed that, Beetlejuice, Bill and Ted, and Jay and Silent Bob strike back. But yeah, I'd love to know what yours are. So you can tweet me at wonderful underscore radio. Tell me what three movies would you suggest people watch to know you? And, you know, it's like the reason I picked Beetlejuice is the macabre, really awkward kind of mysteriousness of my sense of humor. I love that style of comedy. It's it's a dark comedy. It's very much leans into the idea of death, something that I am fascinated with as a Roman Catholic, the idea of the afterlife. So Beetlejuice very weirdly plays into that. Bill and Ted, my youthfulness, my naivety, if that's even a word, how I can be naive at times and, and just very much my playfulness and goofiness and that that childness and that childlike humor that I have, uh, which I feel like Bill and Ted is. And then Jay and Silent Bob strike back because it's it's pop culture. It's references to everything. And then just who Jay and Silent Bob are, you know, listen, I've, I put 15 bucks in that guy's hand. Oe oe oh, my jungle love. Oe oe oh. So yeah, you know, it makes sense. Those are three movies that make sense for me. Definitely curious what yours are. I know Zach, I was messaging with my buddy Zach from Haunter's podcast and he gave me his three. 
because I asked him the question and was like, this is a great question, dude. And I'm curious what your response would be. And his was Back to the Future, circling it back to the open, Ghostbusters, and Star Trek VI. Yeah. So on that note, that'll do it for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy it. Uh, Enjoy the food. Listen, the average person, we expect to gain eight pounds over the holidays this year. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Have the turkey. Have the stuffing. I'm going in for the extra stuffing. Uh, Don't forget to pick up the cranberries, the pie crust, the potatoes. Uh, Those are the items that we're most likely to forget this Thanksgiving. Uh, But enjoy the booze because that's the item that we are least likely to forget about. And I know I have my whiskey and my wine to go since I'm going to be with my family. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Subscribe. Click the like button. Share it with your friends. And as always, peace and love. Until next time.